0: Okay, as you know, our as Keely said our pastor's not here this morning. Pastor Vince, he's out at up at Montrose Bible Conference. He's doing a, a marriage conference up there. He's the lead speaker there. So you be praying for him. The conference is probably almost over. So you really want to just be praying that he makes it home in time for the game. Okay, because that would, that would be his prayer request, but anyway, no, so today we have a treat. I was here for the 9 o'clock service, and it was, it, was, it was really good. Steve Petrillo is speaking, one of our own, and you may not have known it, but Steve Petrillo was an associate pastor at Christ Bible Church for about five years, and he did teaching and preaching there, and so this is the first time Well, we got to hear him this morning, but um, Steve, come on and challenge us with the Word of God this morning. Morning. If I was Pastor Vince, I'd say, all right. <clears throat> all right. So Pastor asked me to preach uh, before the first of the year. And he said specifically, can you preach on the parable son? And I said, sure, it'd be great. And I thought, you know, it'd be great to, you know, give you a break because you just worked too hard, especially with, with Pastor Greg not here. And he said, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching. I'm just away." And I thought, oh my goodness. And then he said, he texted me, he said, you know, and if the Spirit leads, uh, you know, you can preach on uh, marital stuff, which is what I'm preaching on. I was like, I don't think so, Lord. (laughs) You see, I am maritally challenged. Uh, I I was an offensive tackle people don't believe me when I tell them this I was an offensive tackle in college and we had a great um, uh, Bible study football Bible study in college and one of our guys became a pastor so uh, when I met uh, my bride and I got her to say yes uh, I asked him to come down and marry us and he said I will but I have to counsel you first and so he came down to counsel us and after a session or two he said I don't think you should get married <clears throat> and I said, why not? He said, you know, he said, I know you. You're just too domineering. You'll dominate her. And I was like, I don't think you know her as well as I do. <clears throat> so I've been married 35 years happily. And my wife's been married about three months happily. And uh, we have gotten along just fine. And uh, I became a judge. I'm, not, I'm, I'm retired as a judge, so I can talk like this. Uh, but I was a judge for 16 and a half years in Pennsauken. And uh, I only did two weddings while I was the judge. One was for uh, my hero, Mr. Ken Young. He was here this morning, the blind shall lead the blind. I'll talk to you about that in a second. Uh, and the other was for my second daughter and her, uh, her then fiance, now husband, Edwin. And so uh, I, I counseled them and I told him, I said, you know, there's a verse about marriage that no one ever says at a wedding and I really think they should. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 728 b And it says, and this is the Apostle Paul, who we're studying on Sunday morning, and he said this, But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. (laughs) Amen? And he told me, well, his wife told me. My daughter said he was very encouraged by that because, you know, I think some people are more gifted at marriage than others, and I do not have that gift. But I've had to work over, uh, work on it over the years. And and what I have found, uh, you know, my guiding verse in in marriage is Ephesians 5:21, because 5:21 becomes before 5:22, where they talk about position and the thing that we struggle with so much in our culture in terms of who's going to be the boss in marriage. And I got to tell you, I have a perfect record. I have not won an argument in 35 years <clears throat> and so and so the verse is this submit to one another submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because the world teaches us that marriage is 50 50 and that's why marriages are such a mess today a Christian marriage is a hundred a hundred you got to be in it sacrificially to give it your all every day it's not about your spouse giving it back because you're doing it you're loving her for the Lord amen and hopefully she's loving you for the Lord you don't know, but that's what our, our call is, to give it 100%, guys, so praise the Lord. If you have someone, um, I was a judge, I, I sentenced a guy one time on probation to um, a Valentine's dinner. I used to do domestics all the time. I sentenced him to Valentine's dinner, and I said, you better get her flowers and chocolate, and I want the receipt, or you are going to jail. <laughs> so I am sentencing all of you men. Uh, Tuesday is the day, in case you need to be reminded. Um, you will bring your receipts on Wednesday morning. Uh, or you are in big trouble with the Lord. Uh, also I was I was I was recommended I, you, know, I, you would be remiss it's Super Bowl Sunday. You'd be remiss if you didn't say something about football. Uh, Like I said, I I, I played in college, and um, we had a great uh, football Bible study. Uh, Our quarterback my senior year was a guy named Jeff Kemp, whose father was Congressman Kemp, who ran with Bob Dole as his vice presidential uh, candidate, now runs a ministry out in uh, California. He actually played for the Eagles, went on to play for the Eagles. He lasted about a game, I think, and he went home on a stretcher. Uh, That's before they could block, before the offensive line could block, now they can. Uh, I also played uh, with, in our Bible study was a guy named Dave Shula, who was the son of Don Shula, the famous uh, head coach of the um, <clears throat> Miami Dolphins. And he actually, I'll tell you why I forget, because I want to forget, um, he, actually, <laughs> he actually brought his father to a Bible study one night. And I mean, man, he was just a scary guy. It's like I could not, he was so intense, I could never play for this guy because he scared me to death. So, but we used to debate, you know, what do you pray for? As a Christian, what can you pray for about, about football? Because it would just, let face it, it would just be tacky to say, we want to pray, we pray that we win, because what if they're praying the same thing? You'd hope they would. And then it's, well, is our God stronger than yours? Is it Dagon? Is he falling over? Uh, I don't think so. So we would pray that, you know, and you don't realize how much time and effort and, 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 and lifting weights and training and running and in college there's spring football there's fall football and there's and there's double sessions in the fall and there's films and films and films and films and plus you got to go to school Uh, so it's so we would just pray that you know we could play up to our giftedness but also pray uh, uh, that that we could play for the glory of God amen and, um, and, uh, and we'd also play, of course, that you know, uh, in, in injuries are part of the game. We pray that uh, injuries could be kept to a minimum or not at all. And so I can tell you this, uh, if I was Patrick Mahomes or I was Andy Reid, I would be praying fervently with the prayer of a righteous man that my offensive line could somehow, somehow withstand this onslaught of the Philadelphia Eagles because, oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so our text our text this morning, amen, our text this morning is uh, the parable of the lost sons, and, and the, the, the sermon uh, title is No One, No One Stands Alone. Uh, the parable of the lost sons is in uh, Luke, it's only in Luke, uh, it's in chapter 15, and uh, I want to go to our text, it, it says, it uh, starts at verse 11, it says, Jesus continued. Now, uh, Jesus continued is because uh, he was uh, he was giving this parable in response to criticism at the, t- at the time that he was associating with sinners and, uh, and and tax collectors. And this is the third of a series of four parables that he just strings off one after another. And, and if you read it, I, I went back in and, and all the synoptic gospels, in all three of them, uh, his uh, apostles, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, why are you preaching in parables? The people are having trouble understanding you. We don't understand you. And so it's very well documented that on occasion he would have to call them aside and say, listen, guys, this is what it means. You'd have to explain to them. Why is that? Well, it's, it's, I think it's for the reason is this. Um, if you want a story with a moral at the end, you go to Aesop's Fables. If you want an aphorism of wisdom, you go to Proverbs. If you want to go to the parables, get ready, because it's a physical story. He tells stories in the physical that have a secondary, a spiritual meaning, and that's why sometimes they're intertwined, and sometimes it's, it's interesting and fun and challenging uh, to, to intertwine them. And so Jesus answered them, and he said, why do, you, why do you do this? He said, well, and he would quote Isaiah. He said, because seeing they may not see... And hearing, they may not perceive, because not everybody will get the spiritual side of the parables unless it's been revealed to you. Amen? All right, so, um, and there's an outline in your bulletin uh, if if you go through it, and um, let me get to the text, though. Uh, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, I have to tell you, in my experience, prodigals are difficult. They are self-absorbed. They tend to be addictive, and they almost always tend to be wasteful. They'll waste their assets. They'll waste their lives. They'll waste your assets. They'll waste your lives if you let them. And I had a guy, I inherited this guy from another attorney, I was, as, as an attorney, and he was a drug addict. And he said to me one day, he said, because he had used up everything in his life, and he said, you know, I went to my mom, and I told her, you know, I'm your only son. And you're not going to be here much longer, and you're going to give everything to me in your will, so why not just give it to me now? It was just the height of manipulation. So he says to his father, give me my share of the estate, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. While living, if you look later in the text when the older brother's talking, uh, it includes prostitutes, it includes, uh, you know, a lot of nasty things that that he was involved in. Uh, It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. You get the irony of this? Jewish guy working, feeding pigs in the parable. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This is tough love. And sometimes when you're dealing with these kinds of folks, tough love is what they need. Jesus always said, give, give, give. But in this parable, he talks about tough love. It says, when he came to his senses, and I think that's the key point of the life of the prodigal as he came to his senses. I think that's the salvation point. Sometimes people think it's backslidden and it could be either way, Uh, but he came to his senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned, and check this out, against heaven and against you. It's a a two-level parable. He's talking about sinning against heaven and sinning against you. He says, I'm I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, and the Greek there is the sense of continuing, continuing, continuing. A father that continues to go out and look for his long lost son. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Uh, This is radical grace, reckless love. Uh, The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Now note, he did not say, clean him up. You smell like a pig. He did not say, wash his feet. He said, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. This is the radical grace. Uh, Yancey calls it scandalous grace. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Now I gotta tell you, I have a heart for the older son really do. This guy, he was a, he was a, he was a good guy. He's, he's a working. He doesn't even know what's going on because he's, he's, he's on the job. He's working. He's doing what needs to be done. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Now, I get the sense, you know, servants, they're not foolish. They know the history, and and prodigals, they don't get up and leave in a day. Generally, it's a process leading up to it, Uh, and and they knew what was going on abroad. I'll get to that in a second. But he says to him, your brother has come. and I can just get the sense of the older brother saying, oh, my goodness, he's back. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father. Now, again, this guy, we're all entitled to have a bad day, right? Amen. He's been working hard all day. He's hungry. He's dirty. He wants to come in and just have a meal and relax. He says, look to his father. All these years I've been slaving for you, uh, but misguided. Prodigal's, I mean, uh, elder sons tend to be, uh, when they're in the wrong, bitter. Envious, angry, and misguided, because he's not slaving. He's slaving for the, the, you know, as Christians, we work for the Lord. Uh, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. But he gave a job. He gave an ability to go out and and pay for a young goat. Uh, And he says, so I could celebrate with my friends. And this is a a father that loves a party. This is a father that has the joy of the Holy Spirit. I don't think he's going to kick his friends out if they come over to have a meal. Do you? I don't. He says, but when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. And the father says, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now note about this parable. The first part, the part about the younger son, the prodigal son, it's a closed parable. We know what happened. He came to his senses, he came to the Spirit, he was with the Father, and he was enjoying the joy of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The older son, we don't know. It's an open door. Uh, the invitation is, you can come back in and join the celebration, or you can go off and be bitter. And Jesus leaves it that way as the message, the opening, the call to the people that he's reaching to. So. Uh, Number one on your program, prodigals are difficult. They tend to be self-absorbed. They tend to be addictive and they tend to be wasteful. Like I said, they'll waste their assets. They'll waste their lives. They'll waste your assets. They'll waste your life if you let them. And I got to tell you, before I became a judge, um, I had a real heart. I thought I had a real heart for prodigals. I was kind of raised with a prodigal loving father. My dad, and I'm going to age myself here, he, he never missed a chance to pick up a hitchhiker. You remember hitchhikers? Loved them. He would he would just light up and pick him up. Uh, one day uh, uh, he was a tailor, and we had a tailor shop on, on Westwood Avenue in East Camden. We would go to Philly uh, for for the for the, for, the, for the tailors. And uh, uh, he pulls over to a uh, to a bus stop, and he says, "Roll down the window." Because back then it was roll windows. And he reaches over. He says, "Yo, where are you going?" The guy says, "I'm going to Philly." So oh, get in. I'll give you a ride. And, 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 and then he would, he would get guys off the street that, that had really struggled in life. He would get them into, he would give him a room and board at the tailor shop. He would help them out to have jobs. Um, as I got older, uh, we had a Bible study uh, that we ran for about 10 years. And, and many of the guys that came were guys that struggled with alcoholism. And you could always know because they would greet each other with their days. I got 60 days, I got six months, I got two years and six months. One time a guy came in, he said, I fell off the wagon, Satan got to me but I got three days. And, and I, so I always felt I had this, okay, I, I, I had a, a special heart, I thought. And then, like I said, I became the judge. And I met some people, and, and, and the thing is, it's, it's like, you know, if, if you're going to live in, in your struggle, that's one thing, but when you cross the line, when you get behind the wheel, or you do things that hurt people because of your behavior, uh, then you become my problem. So now I was in court, it was the first year I was in court. I was, I was still an associate pastor. It was my first year on the bench, knew very little about what I was doing. And back then, pre-COVID, this courtroom was jammed. Every seat was packed. There were people standing all around the edges. There was a line going out the door. And so there were so many people you, you would, I would call the case before you really got a chance to look at it. And so I called this particular case up and, and a young girl, probably about 19 years old, starts coming it was, it was like an aisle, just like it is here. She starts coming down and I start looking down. I was like, oh my goodness violation of probation. You violate probation, you go to jail. You get your chance. Uh, you can go to the best rehab of your life, but if you violate, and she had violated twice. So here we are, and she's about seven months pregnant, I would estimate. And uh, and she's like, you know, like we used to be when we were 19, she's got a smirk on her face. You can't do anything to me. And I'll tell you what I just saw red. I never thought I had a problem with anger, and, uh, and I'm just and my, I'm starting to get red and she's starting to, to you know, she's, she's smirk. And I heard myself say these words, what would be better if that baby was born in jail or if that baby was born a crack addict? Cause that's what she was. And all of a sudden, she realized I was thinking about doing the unthinkable. And I'm thinking, boy, this is going to look great in the Courier Post tomorrow morning. Associate pastor judge puts teenage girl in jail to have her baby. Wonderful, wonderful. And so I heard myself see, say these words. I had no idea what I was doing. And I said to her, I said, let me ask you a question. Is there anyone here that will stand for you? I think it was a wedding. And, and, and there was sense to the question, because a lot of times with, with addicts, uh, they burn every bridge. Uh, eventually, they, they use up all their relationships. Um, and, and I couldn't see the person, but I heard a voice, I will judge, I will. And this, uh, this woman gets up and she kind of comes to the, kinda, uh, down the edge and the defendant turns around and she walks down and, and they walk towards each other and they embrace in the middle of the aisle. And so I asked her, I said, why are you here? And she said, I'm her aunt, I drove her here. And I thought to myself, you're not driving her home. And uh, I, so I said to her, I said, uh, will you take her into your house? Will you care for her? Will you keep her away from the crack addicts? Will you keep her away from drugs? Will you see that that baby is born and has a chance in life? And uh, now, now, so they're crying, I'm crying, everybody, half the people in the court are crying, and away they went, never saw from them again. And that's 16 years ago. And that's a good thing in, in that business. So, but here's the thing: many prodigals they're easy to recognize, but some are not. Uh, If you look in Luke, this very next chapter, Luke 16, Jesus says, "What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight." And I live this walk because, uh, uh, you know, when I when I when I was I I became a Christian when I was 18. I was an atheist until that time. My father was not a pastor. My father wasn't a Christian. I didn't go to a Christian school. My mom stopped going to church when we were kids because she said my brother got her so upset, she cursed in church, and she never went back. <laughs> and so I, and I, and I just, I knew that I didn't fit in. I just didn't have things in common with my friends in high school, and yet, in the eyes of the world, I had done it all. I was the Philadelphia Bulletin Scholar Athlete Award winner. Uh, I was a starting offensive tackle in the first undefeated and High School regular season football team. I was recruited to play football across the nation. I had the best coaches that, that, that stood up for their guys, stood up for their kids, and they realized I had half a brain and so they targeted me for the Ivy League or the military academies. I got appointed at West Point. At the Naval Academy, I flunked the physical because of my eyes and the coach called me up. He said, well, you'll never be a fighter pilot But if you can see well enough to pick up scraping linebackers and blitzing defensive backs, we'll wave that and you'll be our guy. I turned out Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and uh, Columbia and Penn to go to Dartmouth, the northernmost of the Ivy League schools. Founded in 1689 Vox Clemente in Deserto, a missionary school uh, to the Indians, and I was spending my summer just training. I lift two or three hours in the morning. I would run. i do sprints. i do drills. I had to swim at night because you had to swim for some reason to matriculate there. I don't know why, I still don't know why Um, I didn't I was challenged with that as well Uh, and and I was absolutely miserable Uh, in the eyes of the world I had done it all I was a B student at Pensauken High School going to the Ivy League on a full ride and I couldn't understand why there was no meaning no purpose in my life and you see I didn't understand where I came from I didn't understand where I was going, and I didn't see how anything I did in the meantime made any sense or had any value if I was going to lay down in that box at the end of my life, and that was it. And my brother saw me. Now, my brother was not a Christian. Uh, he be- eventually became a Jehovah's Witness, uh, but he saw my acts for some reason. He, just, he said, why are you doing all this? I said, I really don't know. He said, why don't you read the Bible? And I said, sure, I'm reading everything else because I was trying to get my brain ready for school as well. And so I start reading. A couple days later, he came back, he said, how would you make it? I said, not too well. Uh, he said, what happened? I said, well, I got tied down in the begats, the begats, the Bagats, and the Mosaic Law. I just didn't see the relevance of any of this. He said, well, have you tried the New Testament? And I was, what is that? He said, it's the exciting conclusion. I thought, never heard of it. So I found the New Testament, I started to read. And for the first time in my life, uh, maybe since, you know, catechism when I was a little kid, I prayed because I got to the miracles and I was having a real problem. Uh, And I said, Lord, I'm not asking you for a lot. I just want a little bit of faith just to be able to get past these miracles, to understand, appreciate the things that really happened and were accurately reported. And he answered that prayer, oh, baby. And I got to the end. I got to the end when this man walked out of the crypt. And all of a sudden, everything made sense to me. I was formed in my mother's womb. I had an eternal house, an eternal room in heaven, and I had all the blessings to live for that goal during the course of my life. My life had meaning and purpose. So now, in the eyes of the world, things that were not as highly valued, because you, know, you come under criticism when you make those changes, uh, but now I had things that were valuable for in, in God's eye. And so, uh, how about the older son? Well, older sons can be so wrong they don't have to be wrong but they can be wrong remember there's a choice uh, involved and so older sons can be bitter they can be envious they can be angry they can be misguided um so let me give an example of what i experienced and what i believe is is the wrong um as as uh, dan said I, I was a pastor about five years five or six years but before that uh, i was a deacon i was an elder and we were at the church for uh, well over 20 years and um, it, was a, it was a close-knit group of guys, pastors, and we really had a heart to take the gospel out to the world, to, a, a, to a, the, the world around us. And so we devised uh, to uh, transition from hymns to contemporary music, the kind of music that uh, they like here now. Uh, and uh, these, this was the 90s now, these were the worship wars. Uh, we uh, d- devised we devised to uh, uh, make the uh, the, uh, the the uh, to to target the preaching to more uh, thematic to, to reach out to people who uh, would come in. Uh, but we also asked uh, the Bible studies to, to break down for for six weeks, eight weeks, and to uh, go out two by two. Every Lone Ranger needs a Tonto, and to go into your and to go into the homes. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite your co-workers. And one of my jobs was to supervise uh, the uh, the, the leaders that were doing it. And the place just exploded. Uh, We went from 150 people to 750 people in a period of about eight weeks. And I thought, you know, again, I didn't come from church. I didn't have the the background. And I thought, this is, you know, praise the Lord. This is wonderful. And oh, my goodness. And and a a backlash started. Uh, I want my hymns. There's somebody sitting in my seat. I can't find a parking spot. I miss my Bible study. And uh, there was a deacon uh, on the board and an elder that uh, kind of led this, this rebellion. And uh, you know, the senior pastor found out about it and uh, he was you know, pretty upset, you know, distressed, and uh, kind of felt betrayed. And uh, he was like, you know, what should we do about this? Is this a church discipline situation? I was like, you know what, only the devil could use a Bible study to bring division in a church. Amen? Let's just leave these guys alone and just move on. Uh, but now, what's the, what's the right way? What's the right way for the older son to respond uh, w- when, when, uh, when, when troubles and travails uh, occur? And so this is the last story I'll tell you. Um, my dad, um, uh, like I said, uh, he wasn't a pastor, he wasn't a Christian, he was a hoodlum. Uh, he didn't come home on Wednesday nights or Saturday nights. He played cards. He was out with the boys who grew up in the street. He always gave me bad advice when I was a kid. He would say, you know what? You ought to cut school, because I liked school. He said, you ought to go on the street. You'll learn more in the street than you learn in school. Uh, when I was a young lawyer, he said, you ought to hook up with these guys who have a a, a runner ring, and they all ended up getting indicted, and most of them went to jail. And so, <laughs> so, uh, but I, I love my dad, and and, I, and, I, and I'll tell you what. Um, so. Uh, at a point in his life, um, uh, my brother now had gone off, and he was away for about 10, 15 years, and he was all over the country, they would, they, and I, I was out there for a while in college, and, and they, would, they would smoke the bong, the pot in the morning, and at night they would do lines of cocaine, and they'd have a hustle business, and they'd travel up and down the west coast and all over, and he comes back, oh, he's back. And now uh, he's back, and his and his wife they're the Jehovah's Witnesses, and and they're friends of Jehovah's Witnesses, and of course they start coming in and coming after my dad, uh, and uh, and my dad starts to have some difficult times. Lost his wife, lost my mom. Uh, he only had one eye, lost one eye in a bar fight, and uh, he's losing vision in his other eye. And so my brother uh, it gets him to he sells the tailor shop, um, and he puts the house up for sale. He sells that. My brother takes all the money from the tailor shop, all the money from the house, and he's gone. Didn't like New Jersey that much, and he decides to go. And so, what can you do? Um, I could have been bitter, envious, angry, or misguided, but, and my wife was upset, my sister was disinherited, and I was like, praise the Lord, the Jehovah's Witnesses are gone. And I, and I get, and I get my dad back. And so every Sunday, I would take him, uh, I'd take him to church. And I'll never forget, one day we're walking, he's like, you know, he liked the people, so one day we're walking into church and I was carrying a lot of stuff. I said, hey dad, can you carry my Bible? And he said, you know, I never thought I'd see myself carrying a Bible and walking into church. And then as things started to go, he's, he's, his vision is dissipating in his his only eye. And um, a man from around the corner, uh, Mr. Ken Young, Kendra's uh, uh, dad, uh, who was blind, uh, the blind shall lead the blind. He found out about my dad. He comes around the corner, knocks on the door, introduces himself, and he teaches him how to do his laundry. He teaches him how to cook without burning the house down. I uh, had a couple close calls on that, but we made it through. And uh, my dad used to love to read, couldn't do that anymore, so Mr. Young would start to read to him. And guess what he read from? Amen. And so one day, Mr. Young calls me up, and he's all excited. He said, Steve, he gets it. Your dad gets it. He understands the gospel. And I was like, oh, Mr. John, that's, that's just an answer to prayer. And then a short time after that, uh, we used to do a lot of Promise Keeper stuff and started out, there was like 40,000 guys at a stadium. By this time, it was down to the, uh, the indoor uh, facility. So we went down to, we we're down in Maryland. It's about 16,000, 17,000 people there. And we got there late, so we were all the way up in the cheap seats. And um, on Friday nights, they would do the call, the altar call for people that you know, that wanted to get saved, that had been invited there. And... Um, Almost all the way through it, uh, my father. Now he's blind. He's got the staff of Odin. He can barely he can barely walk, and uh, uh, and he says, "Take me down." And I'm thinking to myself, "Yeah, it's a long way down there." (laughs) I mean, and 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 they're almost done. You know, it's I don't know I don't know if we'll make it down in time. And he's and you know you don't argue, my dad. He just wants things to take me down. So I stand up, and uh, all the guys in our group uh, see what's happening. They all start to cheer and then it kind of goes out across the, the upper level. Then we go down to the lower level, and they all see what's happening. Uh, this old guy, 84 years old, being led down. And then we hit the floor. Now, the floor was all, the guys were already down there because they were already having the altar call, and they see this guy coming. And it just parted like the Red Sea. And so here, I got to walk my dad down. <laughs> uh, uh, to, for him to confirm. Uh, this prodigal from South Camden, uh, coming to the Lord. And so that's, uh, that, that, that I think is what uh, the right way to respond uh, as the older son can be. And so the last point of my outline is this, no one, no one stands alone. So what is God's message uh, to the prodigal? What is God's message to the older sons? Here's what I think it is. To the prodigal, I think the first thing he says is, come to your senses. Come to your senses. You know, there's nothing else out there but me. I made you. I love you. I have a future for you. I have a present for you right now. And he says, number two, he says, God loves and longs for you. I I love you, and I I can't wait for you to come back. I'll be watching for you. I'll be waiting for you every single day uh, for you to come back. And, And number three is, you can live a life of purpose, a life that has meaning, a life that has value. Uh, instead of what you're doing and the thing is this you know a lot of times we think if we have a struggle uh, or a difficulty or something in our past that we've done that we're ashamed of or something bad or terrible that's happened you know one of my uh, ministries when i was a, um, a pastor was to help people find their ministry and a lot of times the thing that you struggle with the most the thing that was the worst in your life that becomes your ministry going forward uh, i'll give you an example no one can minister no one can minister to someone who's lost a child Like someone else who's had that grief amen and so sometimes they're saying you have a life that has purpose and and these guys like i said i got three days i mean they just had this spirit of of indomitability and it was just it was just inspiring to see because you know uh sometimes god just takes away uh the the urge steve pennington had that um and he just takes away your your desire but sometimes he lets you have that thorn in the flesh amen he lets you struggle with it because your struggle can be a great witness And uh, what does God say to the older sons? I think he says, number one, he says it. He says, I am always with you. Uh, you might have struggles, you might have difficulties, you might have problems, you might be bitter about the world around you, you might be bitter where God has you now, you might be bitter about the people in your family, you might be bitter about the people you're sitting here with today. But he says, I am always with you. And then he says, number two, I am. I, everything I have is yours. Your ticket is punched. This is not your home. This is not your kingdom. Your kingdom is in heaven. Your home is in heaven. You're passing through. And number three, he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Colossians 3:23. It says, "Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for men." But here's the thing about that verse. That verse is directed to slaves. And I'm not talking people that I'm working like I say. I'm talking slaves who have no control over their lives. And he says, "Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord." So I'm gonna close with the words of my wife's favorite preacher, and it says this. The Roman, oh, and, and the, the, the title of this sermon is, No One Stands Alone, so could you stand with me? Could I ask you for that? Uh, and she says this, the Roman philosopher Seneca made a statement we all need to remember. Wherever there is a human being, there's an opportunity for kindness. I would add to that, wherever there is a human being, there's an opportunity to express love. Everyone on earth needs love and kindness. Even when we have nothing to offer others in terms of money or possessions, we can give them love and show them kindness, amen? If I could only preach one message, it would probably be this. Get your mind off of yourself and spend your life trying to see how much you can do for others. From start to finish, in all kinds of ways, God's word encourages, and challenges us to love other people. To love others is the new commandment that Jesus gave us in John 13, 34, and it is the example he set for us throughout his life and ministry on earth. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to love others with the same kind of gracious, forgiving, unconditional love he extends to us. Nothing has changed my life more dramatically than learning how to love people and treat them well. So let's pray. And if you would, the message is no one stands alone. So if you're with someone that you love, could you touch them, hold their hand. If you live with someone you don't love, you can still touch them and hold their hand. If you're with someone, if you see someone you don't know, you can reach out and touch them. You can wash your hands later. We have plenty of gel in the back room. Uh, we're going to pray together. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we live. We love you. We lift you up. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you how you love us prodigals. Uh, help us, Lord, to come to our senses. If there's anyone hearing my voice today that needs to come to their senses, may today be today. If not today, maybe tomorrow, some other day. But let there be that day. Uh, let us appreciate how much you love and long for us. Let us have a life of love and purpose. Uh, and Father, let us understand that you are always with us. Let us understand and appreciate that everything you have is everything you have is ours that we have a place in heaven that this is not our home and lord help us to understand and appreciate that whatever we do we want to do it for your glory and for your grace so we can walk and be more like you amen